0: DiscerningHearts.com presents Building a Kingdom of Love, Reflections with Monsignor John Essif. Monsignor Essif is a priest of the Diocese of Scranton, Pennsylvania. He has served as a retreat director and confessor to St. Teresa of Calcutta. He continues to offer direction and retreats for the Sisters of the Missionaries of Charity. Monsignor Essif encountered St. Padre Pio, who would become a spiritual father to him. He has lived in areas around the world, serving in the Pontifical Missions, a Catholic organization established by Pope St. John Paul II, to bring the good news to the world, especially to the poor. He continues to serve as a retreat leader and director to bishops, priests, and sisters, seminarians, and other religious leaders. Building a Kingdom of Love, Reflections, with Monsignor John Essif. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome, Monsignor Asif.
1: Hello, hello. You know, the the topic is that probably the major area that separates us from God is sloth. Do you ever think about that? When I hear in the Bible, you lazy lout, I I don't know how you hear preachers these days talk Mm -hmm. about sloth and laziness. But I I think Mm -hmm. there's such a a misunderstanding what God expects of his children and how he expects us to respond. And so that's been what I think I wanted to talk about.
0: Well, Monsignor, we hardly ever hear a homily or a talk about sloth. I don't think we even understand what it
1: is. Sloth is to depend on oneself more than on God. If you grow up thinking that I can do everything, I am in charge. The the man of sloth really is and can be, and I find this in many places, especially in business people, workaholics. I will do it. I can do it. But the man of faith says God can do it. The deepest man of faith was Jesus. And Jesus always said, without the Father, I do nothing. Everything I do comes from the Father. And if in a man of faith, I only do what the Father tells me. So, Opposite, I believe, of sloth is obedience. And that I don't do what I do. I do what God asks me to do. I don't do what I in my self-reliance am going to do. That's what, that's what happened to King David. Mm-hmm. King David did what he did. And he relied on himself. And he fell terribly when Nathan came into his court and after he had sinned with Bathsheba and killed Uriah Nathan said to the king I have a case in your kingdom the king said what's the case he said there's a shepherd in your kingdom who had a thousand sheep and There was another shepherd who had only one little lamb. And the one who had a thousand sheep wasn't satisfied with his thousand sheep. He wanted the lamb of that poor little shepherd. And when he took that lamb to himself, and the poor man complained that he took his lamb, he killed him. And David was furious. He said, you bring that shepherd here, and I'll slay him in front of your eyes. And then Nathan said to the king, Nathan was the prophet. That man is you. And I think in our examine many times, in our country, in our world, we have so many Davids where we're really taking the poor man's little lamb and then killing. I I believe that so many of us have all these injustices on our hands and uh, and I believe it comes so much from our sloth. And so when Nathan accuses us and if we can just stand in front of a the mirror of divine justice, each of us, and ask ourselves, am I a slothful man or woman? How ready am I to serve? How ready am I to ask God, what is it he wants of me? And what is that that he has asked me to give from what he has given to me? I think we're going to get much more honesty and justice in our world. I compare many of our leaders today to David in his middle age, only consumed with himself. Not really the head and true leader who faces the dangers his own uh, nation faces. What I find over and over again with fathers, with priests, with bishops, with leaders, with presidents, with senators, with all the kind of people I hear. We're in the middle of a political thing. I just hear laziness, self-centeredness. It's a very difficult thing at a time like we're in. As you kind of think about the people that you admire, how they spend themselves or live for others, the the kind of luxurious ways in which they live, what is it to really be successful? And, And it's really kind of how a man gets to a position where he only has to take care of himself. And that's why I think the moral decay is setting in in our, our civilization. We have a leader, Jesus, who is the head of our community. And as, the, as our king, what does he do? He lays down his life. And that's what he says. Greater love than this, no one has, than to lay down one's life for a friend. The absolute marvel that I see in Jesus as king. It's amazing, too, if you just take the crucifix. Jesus Nazarenus Rex Iliorum, Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. And Jesus, king of the universe. Jesus, king of kings. How does he become king? And he says, in this kingdom, the greatest will become the least. The greatest will be the servant of all. Now, I like it now that, you know, I think it's a nice title. And I think one of the areas that I feel most comfortable with as a Catholic, is the Pope. When I think of this 84-year-old Pope Benedict, and here he is, what a magnificent sign he is. And for the past hundred years or more, since Leo Thirteenth on, when you look at the leadership in the Catholic Church, it is so absolutely different than the leaders of the world. I think, too, yes, I think I I feel pretty strongly about Catholic priesthood. One of the priests that I admired so much as a young seminarian, I was in his class at Catholic University, Monsignor Fulton J. Sheen. His, His classes were packed. He was so maligned by other priests during his time. And a lot of people around his time, leaders, really try to put him down his whole life. And when you look at him, here was a powerful leader. And now that he's dead, yeah, we're going to say he's venerable, but not during his lifetime. But I really think when I look at this kind of leadership that he supplied, what a a magnificent way— And the people knew that Fulton J. Sheen, Jews, Catholics, Protestants, look at what a magnificent man he was. Yes, he he gained his leadership through the propagation of the faith. Magnificent leadership. He really was so often ridiculed and put down. I, I think true leaders like Jesus... Many times are rejected. If we really want to see why the malaise, not only in the church, but in society around us, I would look to laziness and sloth as an area. When I look at the array of politicians that stand up there, I don't think I want to judge them only on their sexual conduct. I'd really like to judge them on how truly zealous they are for true service of one another and giving themselves to others. I'd really, really like that fathers to think about how really they are servants to their families and not just those who are sitting and being uh, taken care of by their families and using their power and their voices to command the children and, and to, to dominate because of what they want their wives and their children to do. I think we have a better way of looking at things in our society, educationally, family-wise, politically, and in every way, if we would look at the area of zeal and sloth service to others, and self-centeredness.
0: Monsignor, I've been very privileged to be able to be in places uh, where the poor are anything but lazy. It's on a mountaintop in Guatemala. It's It's amazing that truly those who have not actually don't experience that to a to such a strong degree as those who have been given so much.
1: You know, Mother Teresa used to talk about Jesus in the poorest of the poor. That's where Jesus really is. This person who has been called to live as the poorest of the poor is really Jesus. What a role to be born in dirt, to live in dirt, and to die Mm. in dirt. You know, some. Some poorest of the poor person who's on the streets of Calcutta or in Port-au-Prince or the poorest and the, and the most who's just so, so outcast in our world. Yes, there's Jesus. You want to find him? He's right there. So that this person that you met in Guatemala, yes, yes, before you were dropped into this world, Why did God drop you into the United States? And why did God drop you into the family you were born into with regard to the kind of affluence that you've been born into? Wow. And yet, you could have been born in so many places of utter and complete poverty. And yet, God wanted us to be born where we were born. I think it's so important that we share what we have Mother Teresa always used to say, to recognize Jesus in the distressing disguise of the poorest of the poor. See, that's where Jesus really is.
0: Monsignor, we are taught, even from being young, that we should make the most of our gifts. And that we should prosper, that that's actually a blessing from God. And so, isn't it a good thing that I attain this wealth? Is not that not a sign of God's blessing towards Me and my family.
1: Can you think of the world as a kind of a pie? When you think of all the children of the world sitting down, sharing the pie, I don't know if you know this as a statistic, but I think it's like 48% of the world's goods are consumed here in the United States. Wow. That leaves 52% for the other parts of the world, so that 6% of the world's population consumes 48% of that pie, mm-hmm. so that you divide the rest of the pie up among, like, the, the billion people in India, or the billion, even the, you know, the, we think of the wealth of the Chinese now mm-hmm. as, as a developing nation or wherever else we think wealth is. thats It's just not true. And if you can just sit and see how little these other children get who are sitting around and having so little of that pie. And so when you think of it, if we think of ourselves, oh, we're so generous as Americans. Mm-hmm. But what What I eat today, and I think some statistics have been made as to how much food and drink and the you know what we have here as as far as the world's goods are concerned, and that's why we're so upset because so many of the other children are just getting a little bit more than they used to get um how would you like to be growing up in Haiti? Or how would you like to be growing in any country of the world? No wonder people want to come to the United States. We're like, we're like here, and we have all this candy. And children of the world just want to come here and share it and have some little bit of it, the scraps that fall from our table. So I I really do believe it's hard for us to see ourselves via via the rest of the world. For those who
0: are listening and your words are penetrating into their heart right now, what's the first step? What can they do right at this moment to, to deal with the churning the Spirit is doing in their hearts? The possible anger at you for the message, the possible anger at the situation or even the sadness and knowing how to remedy it. What what can they do?
1: Uh, do you know King David, when Nathan spoke to him about that man is you mm-hmm. and it penetrated into David's heart, I would think, why not pray Psalm 51? Have mercy on me, O God, for I have sinned. One of the most penetrating things that David can show us not only as a sinner, but as a repentance sinner. Have mercy on me, O God, for I have sinned. I think until I come to that deep realization that I must change that interior disposition that I have, we all, when we hear this kind of message, can become so defensive. Then mm-hmm. The the messenger, Nathan, the prophet, is saying what God is saying to me, so that when I hear what the Almighty is saying to me, in other words, when the prophets would speak their message, it wasn't only that they were condemning the people, they were giving the opportunity to have a change of heart. They were given an opportunity to become reconciled first with God. Now, the relationship, especially if you're a Christian and you're hearing what I'm saying, the basic relationship of you as a Christian, because that's who you are, you are Jesus in the world today. So the relationship is you with your Father, God. And so, what is it that God wants to say to you as a politician? What is it that God wants to say to you as a father of a family? What is it that God wants to say to you as a head of a a corporation? What is it that God wants to say to you as a teacher in a school? What is it that God wants to say to you as, as a worker in, in an automobile factory. What is the relationship with God? And then, when you listen to him, you see, the true Christian isn't someone who does what he wants to do. That's why I, I heard in King David's response, he wanted to do what God wanted to do. He was the king but he was also a subject of God. God was the king over David. Then when he, the king, becomes a subject, then he can truly begin to have a different relationship with the subjects in his kingdom. So that if you are in a position of authority, what is that relationship first with God fellow human beings, there has to be a listening disposition and that is that when when the king can say to God, speak Lord, your servant is listening, that becomes a powerful move into having a right relationship, not only with God, but with your fellow human beings.
0: Wow, powerful, powerful talk today, Monsignor. What kind of prayer can we enter into after having that encounter? I mean, what would you have us reflect on on top of all of
1: this? There's a there's a passage that I really believe that Jesus was teaching us. It's a magnificent teaching. I'm going to leave you now. Our Lord was saying, and you know how when a family gets together around a a dying father's bed, he's saying to his children, look, you know, I'm going to be dead, and I want you to remember this, because it's so important after I die for you to do this. And this is what Jesus did at the Last Supper. I'm going to be dead tomorrow. You're going to see me crucified and dead. But right now, before I leave you, this is what I want you to see. Before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to pass from this world to the next. He loved his own in this world, and he would love them to the end. The devil had already instigated Judas, the son of Simon the Iscariot, to hand him over. So during supper, fully aware that the father had given him everything and to his power and that he had come from God and was going to God, he rose from the table, he took out his outer garments, put a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet with a towel. He came to Simon Peter, and Simon Peter to him, Master, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing now you do not understand. But you will understand later. Peter said to him, You will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash your feet, you will have no part in herons with me. And so he washes their feet. And then after he does, he says, So when he had washed their feet and put his garments away, he said to them, Do you realize what i have done you call me teacher and master and rightly so for that is indeed who i am but if i am your teacher and master have washed your feet you ought to wash one another's feet and so what is the what is the outcome of this you see jesus is the servant and so Absolutely, the the work of the slave was to wash the feet. Because when people came in, they didn't drive around in automobiles. There were horses and animals and cows and oxen. And there was dung all over the place. And their feet stunk. And so when they would come into a house, it wasn't just that they were to wipe their feet. Their feet had to be washed. And who did that was the slave, the lowest one. And so when Jesus goes to do the lowest job with his disciples, wash their feet, that's exactly in our society what we're called to do. I I remember two things about my father and my mother. My mother never sat down practically with us to eat. She never did. She waited on us. And my dad always took the food last. He made sure that all of us ate first. I really believe the attitude. If, if that attitude would permeate families, if that attitude would permeate churches. Do you know the arrogance sometimes of priests, deacons, leaders, the arrogance of teachers, the arrogance of people who apparently are politicians and so-called whoever you might be as a leader, wash one another's feet. That's the attitude. And then I think we will have a new society. And uh, and I really believe that the topic is to care for one another, to reach out and to serve one another. By this shall all know you are my disciples. And I, I think that's going to permeate the whole society.
0: Thank you, Monsignor. You've been listening to Building a Kingdom of Love, Reflections with Monsignor John Esif. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com, or you can find it within the free Discerning Hearts app. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission which is to offer rock-solid and authentic spiritual formation freely to souls around the world. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com. And join us next time for Building a Kingdom of Love, Reflections with Monsignor John Essef.